you're joining us, we are busy with a small series on church discipline, um, the bitter medicine God has given His church to be healthy and to be free from sin. And we've already, we've already dealt with three sermons on Matthew 18 from verse 15 till verse 20. And today we're going to look at the parable of the unforgiving servant. And it is interesting that that's the text. The text that follows on church discipline is a text about forgiveness. Because this is now the other side of church discipline. Um, when someone does repent, we need to forgive. We need to restore our relationships back to one another. And Jesus gives a very, very radical standard for us about how we should forgive. And I hope that we can get some clarity on this very difficult, thorny topic of forgiveness. But let's just read the text. And remember as we read that this is the words of the living God. Matthew 18, 21. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts of his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused, went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me and should not you have had mercy with your fellow servant as I had had mercy? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. And so also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. It's the reading of God's word. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you will be merciful to us, that you will heal broken marriages, heal broken relationships, that you will teach us the true nature of forgiveness, Father, to give us clarity of mind, that we will accept and follow your radical standards of forgiveness. I pray, Lord, that you will help us to be obedient in this area so that we can reflect and glorify you as the God of all grace, the God of all forgiveness. Please help me, Lord. Help me to speak clearly as I ought to. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Love it. <clears throat> forgiveness is very, very close to the heart of God. The Bible over and over again emphasizes this as one of the main attributes of God. And it's, it's interesting. You don't have to be a believer. We all know God is forgiving. <clears throat> Exodus 34, verse 67. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, 
but who will by no means clear the guilty. Psalm 103 verse 10 and 12, He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Micah 7 verse 18 to 19, Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. This is who God is. If a sinner humbles himself, repents and asks for forgiveness, God forgives all of your sins, all of the time. <laughs> and so it is no wonder that this God expects us to be forgiving like he is. It's no wonder that he expects us to give that same grace that we have received to other people. As people created in God's image, God designed us to image God. In other words, when people look at the way we treat people, they must have a glimpse of how God is like. When they see how merciful we are, how gracious we are, they must have an idea of how gracious and merciful God is. One pastor said it like this, he says, You are never more like God than when you forgive, and you are never more unlike God when you do not forgive. Because this is who he is. And at least one reason, there could be many, but at least one reason why forgiveness is absolutely essential is because there is absolutely no relationship, no marriage, no parent-child relationship, no church, no institution, no nothing that doesn't have sin in it. If you marry, you marry to a sinner. If you have children, you have sinful children. If you join a church, you have a sinful church that you've joined. There's no relationship that doesn't have sin. And therefore, if there's no forgiveness, relationship stops. Churches die. See, so without forgiveness, nothing survives. No relationship survives without forgiveness. Now, I really think that is probably one of the big reasons why there is so much divorce. Not so much of all the issues in the marriage, but the unwillingness to forgive. The unwillingness to reconcile or to repent. Those two reasons, you could say. And by the way, the very next text in Matthew after this is about divorce and remarriage. And I don't think that is an accident. I think Matthew is saying, listen, these, these things are so closely related because the number one relationship you need forgiveness the most is in a marriage relationship. Because there's no relationship on earth that is closer than a husband and a wife becoming one. Sharing your life, sharing everything together. No marriage will survive without forgiveness. And that's why in the Lord's Prayer, we could say the Disciples' Prayer, Matthew 6, we say, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. What we are saying to God there is, Lord, do you see how I have forgiven that person? Will you please forgive me in exactly the same way? Forgive me as I have forgiven. And that's the lesson. The way you forgive others is the way God will forgive you. And that's what Jesus says after in Matthew 6 verse 14. He comments on the Lord's Prayer, but he says, As for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. 
But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your heavenly Father forgive your trespasses. So Jesus is saying something frightening in this, in this verse. He says, if you are an unforgiving person, a bitter person, unwilling to forgive, unwilling to reconcile, then God will not forgive you. Do not expect to go to heaven and find mercy from God if you are an unmerciful person. For blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. God will treat you in the same way you treat others. That's the lesson. And that's very close to what the, the point of the parable is as well. But let's look at the context. Let's just look at the context here first. Um, Jesus has just finished teaching on church discipline. Um, he has said, remember, church discipline is what we must do when there is sin in the church or when you see sin in a brother or sister, you go and you confront. Remember, look at verse 15. Matthew 18, 15 says, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. So Jesus says we must go and confront sin, but if that doesn't work, then you take two or three with you to establish the facts. If that doesn't work, you tell it to the church, you announce the sin in church. Now the whole church goes and prays and asks the person to repent. And if that doesn't, listen, that doesn't work, we must put the person out of church and treat him like a gentile and a tax collector, according to Jesus. Um, that's what we do. And we have that authority because whatever the church binds on earth shall be bound in heaven. And that is referring to church discipline. And we can do this because Jesus has promised to be with us. Verse 20, where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. Meaning, as the two or three go and do church discipline, there Jesus is with us. And that's a wonderful encouragement. So Peter was listening to Jesus and Peter has a question. And you've got to love Peter for asking the question that we're all thinking of. So Peter's listening. If my brother sins against me, I go, I tell him his fault. He says, oh, I'm wrong. Please forgive me. You have gained your brother. Wait a minute. How many chances does my brother get? How many times should this process be happening? How many times should I go and confront and go and confront? That's a good question, eh? Isn't that a question you have as well? How many, is there a limit to our forgiveness? Is there ever a limit where we say, okay, you've reached the limit. No more forgiveness. And here's the first point we're going to look at. The first point we're going to see here is the limitless forgiveness of believers. Jesus commands us to give limitless forgiveness for others if they repent. Look at verse 21. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Again, yeah, you have to give Peter some credit because what the Jews believed and what the rabbis believed is that you give people three chances. Three times, strike one, strike two, strike three, you're out. So Peter says, not three times. You can see Peter has learned a little bit. Okay, Jesus is not like the rabbis. He's, he's always a bit more radical. He's always a bit more... The standard is higher. So he's caught some of the forgiving nature of Jesus. And he says, well, let's make it seven times. Lord, shall I forgive my brother seven times? Probably feeling a little bit chuffed and proud of himself. Hey, I've, I've, I've beaten the rabbis here. But beloved, here's the issue with the, this type of forgiveness that wants a number. 
Because if you have a number in your mind about how many times you are going to forgive, now you are keeping count of how many times this person has sinned against you. So every time someone sins, that's the fifth time. You have two chances left. Remember? Remember two years ago? That was the fifth time. Now, okay, that, that was the fourth time. You see, now you're keeping count. Now you need a book. You need a log. You need uh, another one. And then when it's seven or higher, like, I'm done. I'm done with you. Get out of my house. Get out of my life. I don't care what you say. I don't care what you do. We are done. But that's the opposite of love. 1 Corinthians 13.5 Love keeps no record of wrong. When love forgives, it is gone. It is as if it never happened. Because that's the way God treats us, right? And that's why those arguments when it comes up and someone says, Do you remember the other five times you did this? That is not a person that has forgiven. That person still needs to forgive, who is keeping track, keeping count of how many times the person has done the same sin. And so Jesus drops the bomb in verse 22. Look at verse 22. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. So some translations say 70 times seven, making it 490 but I think this is an accurate translation, 77 times, because there is another place in the Bible where the phrase 77 times comes up. And that's in Genesis chapter 4, verse 24. Genesis 4, Cain murdered his brother Abel. And then God punished him or judged him and said he will be a wanderer in the land. And Cain said, Lord, my punishment is too great. Anyone who finds me will kill me. And then God says to Cain, if anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. Fast forward, one of Cain's descendants also kills a man. And this is what he says, um, Lamech says in Genesis 4.24, if Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is 77-fold. So the, what, what Lamech is saying is, my, you, if, you, if you think Cain's revenge is bad, watch my revenge. My revenge will be super abounding. You won't be able to handle it once I give you my revenge. And it's amazing, that's actually what our sin inclines us to do. We want to give revenge 77-fold. We want to, not eye for an eye, but if you do this to me, I'm going to repay you way more abundantly than what you deserve. And you see what Jesus is doing? He's turning it on its head. He says we shouldn't take revenge 77-fold. We should forgive 77-fold. Over and beyond what is necessary. Limitless. Without ending. Of course, it doesn't mean after you've sin the 78th time or after the 491th time or whatever that now you can stop no that the point here is that there is no limit to our forgiveness and the parallel account of luke 6 17 is actually very instructive luke 17 verse 3 says pay attention to yourselves if your brother sins rebuke him that reminds us of church discipline and if he repents forgive him if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times and says, I repent, you must forgive. Can you imagine seven times in the same day? Jesus says, if that happens seven times in a day and the person says, I repent, you must forgive. And when the apostles heard it, I love their response in verse 5, they say, Lord, increase our faith. <laughs> Lord, this, who can do this? Who can live like this? Who can just over and over and over again forgive? Lord, our faith is too small. Help us. 
But they understood what Jesus meant. Our forgiveness must be limitless because God's forgiveness for us is limitless. And that's the next point. Jesus now tells a parable to show us, secondly, the limitless forgiveness of God. You see, our forgiveness is only enabled if we understand and embrace and accept the limitless forgiveness of God. So Jesus tells a parable. Look at verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts of his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. To give you an idea of how much this was, one talent was the equivalent of 20 years of wages for, an, for a laborer at that time. 20 years. So if you worked for 40 years, that's about your whole lifetime of work, right? 40 years, you have two talents. That's what you deserve. That was your lifetime's work. And so let's do the math. 10,000 talents multiplied by 20 years per talent would take you roughly 200,000 years to have this money. You see what the point here is, this is an unpayable debt. This is something that this man could never repay. It's impossible. Look at verse 25. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the king at this time had every right. He had every right to sell him, his wife, his children, that he have at least some compensation for his money that he's lost. Now, this is not to be taken to condone slavery in any way. This is a parable. Jesus is making a point about forgiveness, not about slavery. So just keep that in mind. Look at verse 26. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. What? Are you going to pay back 10,000 talents? How are you going to do that? That's impossible. This is actually a picture of when we try to earn our forgiveness. We see we, we owe God an unpayable amount. Okay, Lord, just give me more time. I will make it right. I will pay it off. I will work, work off my debt. But the reality is you can't. You can't work it off. It's too much. You owe too much. It's very similar to the prodigal son. Remember the prodigal son when he went back to the father? He, he repented. He asked for forgiveness. But what did he say? He said, just make, he was planning to say, Make me one of your slaves. I will just be a slave. I will work my way back into your grace, into your love. But that doesn't work. That's not how salvation, salvation is not by our works. Because we cannot do it. It must be a free gift. It must be something the king himself gives us. And that's exactly what the king does. Look at verse 27. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. Notice the king didn't just give him more time. The king didn't grant his request. He erased his debt. He writes it off. The slave now owes sorry, nothing. 10,000 talents clean. Beloved, this is the picture of what God does for you, what God does for sinners who humble themselves and repent. He doesn't just give you more time to make things right. If he did that, nobody would go to heaven. No one would make it. No, he takes the debt you owe, 
the list of sins that you have done in your entire life, all of it, and he nails it to the cross. He nails it to his son. See, forgiveness is free, but it is costly. Colossians 2 verse 13 says, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by cancelling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Jesus, in great love for us, took our debt upon himself and died on the cross, suffering our eternity of wrath in a few hours because he is worthy. That's how worthy he is. Beloved, don't read this too quickly. Don't move past this too quickly. Don't let these words just fall on you idly. Stand in awe of how amazing God's forgiveness is for you. If you are a Christian, let this reality sink in. All your sins are gone. It's gone. It's forgiven you. It's been paid in full. Even your worst sins, the sins you think could never be washed or, or cleansed, is forgiven, is paid by the blood of Christ. You see, the, re the first step to forgiving 77 times is to realize that that's how God forgives you. Unlimitless, limitless forgiveness for all of your sins. 70, if you sin seven times in a day, God will forgive if you repent. So to forgive like this, you first need to be forgiven. You first need to taste the sweetness of God's forgiveness for your life. You need to have a grip and a grasp of how much you really owed God. It wasn't just some mistakes you did. It was an unpayable debt you owed to God. And then meditate on how freely God forgave you. How freely, he says, it is gone. Now go and do the same. Ephesians 4.32 makes it explicit and says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Copy God in His forgiveness. See what He does and do that to other people. Be imitators of God. And that's the first point of the parable we see. You see the limitless forgiveness of God. And it would have been amazing, you know, in a normal sermon, normal, we could have stopped here, amen. But this story doesn't have a happy ending. Already the first word of verse 28, we, we feel something is wrong because the first word is but. There's a plot twist. Something is wrong in the story. Something has gone awfully wrong. And now we're going to look at the third point, the consequences of unforgiveness. In the light of God's limitless forgiveness, now we're going to see the consequences of unforgiveness. Look at verse 28. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, and seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. Remember, a denarii was the, the average wage for a day's work. So a hundred denarii was a hundred days pay. So humanly speaking, a hundred days, a few months of salary, it's still fairly a large amount. Like, but in comparison to the 200,000 years worth of money that this slave owes, this is nothing. This is considered irrelevant 
compared to the great debt that he owed. And notice this man's attitude in verse 28. He sa it says, he seized him and he began to choke him. Already we see his heart revealed. Is this man's heart ready to forgive, ready to give grace and forgiveness to this person? No, we see by his actions that there's nothing but vengeance, anger, bitterness, unforgiveness. His heart is already exposed by the way he treats him. And notice as well, this is his fellow servant. 28 says it's his fellow servant. They are in the same life condition and he has no compassion. But a king of an infinitely higher or higher status than him has given him grace. And he can't even give grace to someone equal to him. A fellow servant. Look at verse 29. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. Notice the same words that, that, he, that he said a moment ago. Now this person say. And what should have happened to this man was, I remember those, those words sounds very familiar. They sound like my words to the king. But he was blinded by his anger. And look at verse 30. 30. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. You will pay what you have done. You will not see my face until you give back every cent of what you owe. You will not have mercy. I will not forgive you no matter what you say or what you do. And do you see what Jesus, Jesus is making a stark contrast between the king and the servant. They are diametrically opposed to one another. The slave is doing the opposite of what God would have done. And this is why unforgiveness is such a serious sin. It is the opposite of God's character, of God's nature. Look at verse 31. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Notice how the other, it's amazing how the other fellow servants felt when they saw this. They were greatly distressed. This was a shocking thing for them. They couldn't believe how this man is behaving. It was unthinkable. How could he have forgotten so soon how much he owed to the king? Beloved, in the same way, we too, the church, should be shocked when someone is unwilling to forgive who claims to be a Christian. We should be shocked. It should be, we should be greatly distressed. Someone who claims to know the king, who has written off all their debt and now doesn't want to pay right off the hundred denarii, the little sin in comparison, this is so ungodlike. This is so unchristian that it should shock you. We see that the forgiveness and the loving kindness of God had zero effects on this slave. Zero effect. And now the king himself makes it clear. Look at verse 32 to 33. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant? as I had mercy on you. Wicked is the only description for this man. How wicked to not forgive in the light of how much the king forgave him. The king saying, how could you not have done what I have done? How could you have not given the same mercy that I have given you? Have you forgotten how much you owed me? So what are the consequences? Verse 34. And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. Now the servant is put in prison to pay off his 10,000 talents. In other words, God is, the king is treating him 
in exactly the same way that he has treated other people. That's the lesson of this parable. You showed no mercy, I will give no mercy. Pay it back. And paying back 10,000 talents is, is a picture of forever. How do you pay back 200,000 years worth of, of, of money? You, you can't. It's a picture of eternal suffering. It's a picture of going to hell. And now look at verse 35. Jesus now makes it, applies it to us. And he says, So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. You can almost see Jesus' finger going around in the crowd. You know what that king did to that servant? That's what he will do to you and to you and to you and to every one of you if you are not willing to forgive your brother from the heart. In other words, if you are unwilling to forgive, if you keep that bitterness and that anger in your heart, then do not think you are going to heaven. Don't deceive yourself. Do not think you will receive mercy from God if you don't give mercy. Do not think that you are, your sins are forgiven if you are treating others without forgiveness. Just to clarify, this parable might, might assume or might point to the, the idea that you can be truly forgiven of your sins, truly know the grace and the forgiveness of God, and then when you don't forgive, now you've lost that salvation, you can go to hell. But that's not what, I, what this parable is teaching, and that's not the point. This parable isn't teaching that you can lose your salvation if you truly are saved. But rather, what this parable is teaching is that God will treat you in the same way that you treat others, which will just reveal if God's forgiveness had any effect on you. If the forgiveness of God had zero effects of you on you, then you will not forgive. And then God will treat you in the same way. And that's the point. So the point is simply this. You cannot receive God's forgiveness and remain an unforgiving person. You cannot receive God's forgiveness and remain an unforgiving person at the same time. You can't. Or to say it in the words of James, James 2 verse 13. I actually think this is an excellent one verse summary of the entire parable. James 2 verse 13. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Do you hear what he Judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. If you show mercy, then ex if you show no mercy, expect no mercy. You cannot receive God's forgiveness and remain an unforgiving person. Let's close our time with applications. I'm sure for some of you there might be a thousand questions flooding your mind, but what about this? But what about this? But what about this situation? And I'm going to try in this next 10 to 15 minutes to, to help you as practically as I can to understand what forgiveness is and how does this look like practically. just want to say I've been greatly helped by a booklet by Joel James. Um, you can find it online, um, Forgiving Like God Forgives. It's for free. So just type in Forgiving Like God Forgives, Joel James. And I've, I've actually used a lot of his material in this application. But in, in that booklet, he gives three ways Christians should pursue forgiveness. And, and I'm going to use that as well. Number one, you must pursue peace. The first way Christians um, forgive is, number one, the first step is to pursue peace. In other words, forgiveness is not a passive thing. It is not something that we just give to somebody without confronting the sin in that relationship. This is incredibly important. 
Because even when Peter says, how, am I, how many times should I, my brother sin against me and, and I forgive him? He is thinking of Matthew 18 verse 15. Look at Matthew 18 verse 15 again. Look at Matthew 18 15 again. It says, if your brother sins against you, what must you do? Go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. You see, it's not an option for you to, when someone sins against you, to just say, I'm going to forgive, but I'm not going to talk to that person. Because this is why, often when we say things like that, we are actually don't want that person at all. We don't want a relationship with that person at all, but we say we've forgiven him. So we're actually hiding behind our bitterness in the name of forgiveness. We say, I've forgiven him, but I don't want anything to do with that person anymore. That's not forgiveness. Forgiveness confronts people with their sin. That's the first step. It pursues people. It pursues peace. This, this, this works the other way around. So if, if someone sins against you, you need to go and tell him his fault. But if you sin against somebody else, you need to go and repent and ask for forgiveness. So it doesn't matter who began the sin in the relationship. The responsibility always lies with you to go first. So in an ideal world, the two people meet each other halfway to reconcile and to repent and to forgive. This is what it means to pursue peace. We don't ignore sin in our marriages, in our relationships, in our church. That is not loving. We pursue peace. We go and we confront that. Now, the Bible does say love covers a multitude of sin. But I do not think that means we ignore sin. I think that means that after we have done what Matthew 18, 15 says, and we've confronted the sin, and the person says, please forgive me, and then we say, okay, love covers a multitude of sin, but it assumes that there is repentance and that there is asking for forgiveness. So that's the first step. We must pursue sin. We can't be passive in our relationships, in, our, um, in forgiveness. We need to go and pursue peace. Second step is make a verbal covenant. Make a verbal covenant when you forgive. And I love this definition by Joel James. Um, I'm just going to read the definition and we're going to unpack it a little bit. Here's his definition of forgiveness. Listen to this. He says, forgiveness is a covenant, that is an agreement, to erase the offender's sin debt in light of his admission of wrongdoing and request to be forgiven. Now, this is already um, going against the popular view of forgiveness. The popular view of forgiveness is you must just forgive no matter what the other person does. But what we're talking about is bitterness, anger, resentment. But when the Bible speaks of forgiveness, it speaks about a reconciliation. And that's what this definition says. It says, in the light of someone's admission of wrongdoing, that's the only time we can grant forgiveness. And then when we forgive, we erase the sin debt that they owe us. So let me just say this, um, this is also going to be on the outline, is that so true forgiveness requires repentance. And I'm going to try to persuade you of this. True forgiveness requires repentance. Because not even God forgives without repentance. God doesn't forgive any sinner if he doesn't repent. 1 John 1 verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. When Peter asked, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him up to seven times? He's thinking about what Jesus already said. He says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. If he listens to you, meaning if he repents, if he says, I'm sorry, please forgive me, then you have gained your brother. So Peter is asking, how many times must I do this? And I think Luke 17 puts the nail in the coffin. 
Listen to Luke 17, verse 3 to 4. It says, Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. There's the pursuing peace again. You don't just ignore it. If your brother sins, you go, you rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive. Do you see how it's quite clear in, in these passages that forgiveness assumes that the person has come and asked for forgiveness. But you might say, but if someone sins seven times a day, isn't that a sign that the person is not repenting? How can I keep on forgiving seven times a day if, if it doesn't look like the person is repenting? He's just doing the same sin over and over again. And here the best counsel I can give is we are not God. We do not see the heart of that person. If that person says, I repent, we take his words at face value and we forgive. Infinitely. Now, of course, God sees our hearts when we ask for forgiveness. But we are not God. We, are, we don't read hearts. We can only take the facts. We can only take someone's words. And based on that, we forgive. And that's the radical nature of forgiveness still. So we should still forgive unlimited times if someone repents. And of course, just to say, of, of course your trust in that person relationship is going, to be, is going to be destroyed. If someone sins against you seven times in a day, later on you're just not going to trust that person anymore. Right? But you still have to forgive. You still have to pursue peace with that person but I just want to say, so this does not mean that if forgiveness only requires repentance, that that is an excuse to harbor bitterness in our hearts, anger, revenge in our hearts. I think when we say you must always forgive without repentance, we are just thinking about bitterness, anger, um, ven vengeance in our hearts. Now, if that's your definition of forgiveness, then you must always forgive. But I don't think that's an accurate definition of forgiveness. But our hearts must always be free from bitterness. We shouldn't have a grudge against someone. We shouldn't feel joy when someone falls, when, someone is, when, when something bad happens. Because Jesus says, love your enemies, bless those who persecute you. You can't do that if your heart is full of bitterness and anger. You can't bless your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. And remember, they don't think they're doing anything wrong. But your heart has to always be free from bitterness. So how does, this, how does this forgiveness now look like practically? First, let me suggest to replace the words, I am sorry with, please forgive me. Replace the words, I am sorry with, please forgive me. Now, there's nothing wrong to be sorry. You need to be sorry if you've sinned against somebody. But what I am sorry often assumes is that I'm sorry about the consequences of what I've done, not about what I've actually done. Let me give an illustration. Let's say I have a cup of water and I'm walking into my living room and I accidentally trip and I spill the glass of water on my wife. Now I say, I am sorry because it was an accident. I didn't mean it and I'm sorry about the consequences of my actions. It actually, it's uncomfortable for you now. But imagine I take the same glass of water and I walk up to my wife and I throw it into her face because I'm angry with her. Now I am sorry doesn't work anymore. Now I say, I have sinned against you and against God. Please forgive me. Forgive me. It wasn't a mistake. 
I was sinful against you. The way I talked, the way I, the way I did it, whatever. I am, please forgive me. I owe you an unpayable debt that I cannot pay back. Will you erase my debt? Will you take it away? Will you please forgive me? And that's now forgiveness. Now true reconciliation is happening. You're not, because I am sorry often invites excuses as well. You will know what I mean if you say, I am sorry, but if you just didn't do that, I wouldn't have. And you start just justifying your own deeds instead of really just repenting and asking for forgiveness. You will feel how hard it is to say, please forgive me instead of just, I am sorry, because we know the difference. But now on the receiving side, if you are on the person that needs to forgive, here's another thing you need to replace. Replace, it, it was nothing, or don't worry, it was nothing, with, I forgive you. Replace, it was nothing, with, I forgive you. Because if you say, don't worry, it was nothing, you're doing the same mistake as the I am sorry. You are minimizing the sin. You are actually assuming that the thing that happened isn't that serious. But it is. You see, forgiveness doesn't work by ignoring the sin. That's not what God did. God didn't ignore the sin. He paid for the sin. He shows us how serious he takes our sin. So on the, on the, on the giving side, of the forgiving side, don't pretend like it wasn't a big thing for you. Don't pretend like the sin wasn't serious. Make it serious by saying, I forgive you. And when you forgive, you make three promises. So here is, again, the radical nature of forgiveness. When you forgive someone, here is three promises you make when you say, I forgive you. And now this is the verbal covenant that we make. Number one, the first promise is, I promise that I will not bring this up against you in our conversation anymore. So when you have a fight and it reminds you of a, of a sin that you've already forgiven, you don't bring it up. You don't say, yeah, remember you always do this, or you, this is the seventh time you do it. That is not forgiveness. Forgiveness says, I'm not going to bring it up against you. Number two, I promise that I will not bring this up behind your back, behind you. That's another way people don't forgive. People will pretend to forgive in person, but they can't wait to get to their colleagues or their parents or their friends and talk about how bad and and useless this person is. That's not forgiveness. Forgiveness is, it's gone. I'm not going to talk to other people about your sins and your mistakes. It's gone. And number three, probably the hardest one of all of them, I promise that I will not constantly think about it in my mind. I won't constantly think about it over and over in my mind. Meaning brooding so that your heart becomes bitter and resentful. Now, I just want to say, this doesn't mean you should forgive and forget. I don't think the concept forgiving and forgetting is a biblical concept. Even God, he, he says he doesn't think of our sins anymore, but he literally cannot forget any sin that he, forget, he forgives. But what does he do? He doesn't treat us according to our sins. He doesn't bring up our sins in front of us. He has removed it. In the same way, you might never forget what someone has done against you. Someone cuts off your arm and the person says, please forgive me, you forgive him. There can be forgiveness, but every time you look in the mirror, you're going to be reminded, wow, something is wrong with me because of this person's sin. Now, but you can choose to not constantly think about it, to not brood about it, to not hold it against him. But you might wonder, what about those times, you, you might have heard it, you might have used it. What about those times when you don't feel like forgiving? 
Maybe the hurt is just too much. Maybe the pain you feel at that moment is just too horrible. You feel like, I cannot forgive because I just don't feel like forgiving this person. There's a biblical name for I do not feel like forgiving. And that is bitterness. So call it by its name. I don't feel like forgiveness is bitterness. And let me encourage you with this. Forgiveness is not a feeling. It is not a feeling. It is a choice. A choice to obey Jesus. Trusting Him with Judgment Day. Trusting Him for vindicating you, healing you, restoring you, confirming you. Trusting Him as your Messiah, your all in all. Not defending yourself. It's a choice to obey. You make a verbal covenant that I will not bring it up against you. I will not bring it up behind you. And I will not think about it over and over again. But yes, just one last scenario. What about when you ask for forgiveness, you humble yourself, and the other person doesn't want to forgive you? You've sinned against somebody, you repent, but that person says, no. Now the tables have turned. Now it's no longer you who are in sin, but that person who is in sin. And Matthew 18, church discipline might need to happen to that person if he constantly refuses to forgive, because unforgiveness is a serious, serious sin that we should take seriously. And here's the last thing we should do, and I close with this. Lastly, the last step is, so we pursue peace, we don't just ignore sin, we talk about it, we confront it, we make a verbal covenant, and then we establish a new and a better relationship with that person. We establish a new and a better relationship with that person. And again, this links back to the number one, because sometimes people might even say, I forgive you, but they will say things like, I forgive you, but I don't want to see you ever again. I, okay, I forgive you, but get out of my face. I don't want to talk to you. I don't want to see you. I want to avoid you. But that is not forgiveness. Imagine if God forgave you like that. Imagine if God forgave you and said, I forgive you, but out of my presence, get away from me. See, that's not forgiveness. True forgiveness is to establish a new and a better relationship. And here's the secret. Romans 12, verse 21. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. You overcome your feelings of bitterness by actively doing good to the person that you are feeling bad about. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. You see, if he's thirsty, give him something to drink. If you're a wife, your husband needs food. Okay? So always do that. <laughs> But that's the point. We, you overcome your bad feelings by choosing to do good despite the way you feel about that person. You choose kind words. You, you do good to that person. And that's how you overcome. You don't overcome by avoiding the person. You don't overcome by tolerating the person. That's not overcoming. You act like God. You don't treat people what their sins deserve. You treat them with grace because they asked. So that's how biblical forgiveness works. We pursue peace, we, establish a, we make a verbal covenant, and we establish a new and a better relationship. Beloved, I know this is a high calling. This is something that we might feel like, how can we do this? But it is possible. By God's help and His grace, we can have healthy marriages, relationships, because we do these things. We forgive. For some of you, this might, might mean you have to talk to your husband or your wife. For some of you, this might mean you have to talk to a family member. 
that you've just been kind, kind of ignoring the sin that's happening. Some of you, this might mean you have to talk to another Christian, another, another Christian that you know. But what we cannot do is just ignore it. It's just leave it. It's just to pretend like the sin never happened. No. We go, we pursue peace, and then we forgive 77 times as people repent and ask for forgiveness. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are a gracious, a gracious God who forgives us 77 times. Unlimited times, Lord, without bounds, without limits. Lord, if we confess our sins, you are faithful and you are just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespass according to the riches of his grace. Lord, where our sin increased, grace abounds all the more. Lord, we cannot fathom how much you have forgiven us of our sins. Lord, I pray that you will help us as frail and weak humans to, to, to pursue peace. Father, I pray that we won't mask or cover our bitterness with a false forgiveness, but that we will pursue the peace that we will seek that reconciliation with someone and that we will be serious when we repent, that we won't just say sorry, but we will ask for forgiveness and then give forgiveness and make those promises, Lord, to not hold it against them, not bring it up and not harbor it in our hearts and then establish a new and better relationship to pursue a, a better and a, a more joyful relationship together. Father, please be merciful to us Please show us how this looks like practically in our lives. I pray, Lord, that your name will be honored and glorified through us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.